Hello and welcome to Alice is Everywhere. Today we will read Chapter 8 of Alice's Adventures in Wonderland entitled The Queen's Croquet Ground. First, though, in the latest edition of Things I Should Have Told You, my name is Heather. I think I've only mentioned that in one or two episodes. I've often told you that my email address is heather at aliceseverywhere.com, so maybe some of you extrapolated that info on your own. Honestly, I don't think it really matters who I am. The real star of the show is Lewis Carroll and his amazing imaginative works. But if you were wondering, my name's Heather. I'm not an educator. I don't have an advanced degree in Victorian literature or anything like that. I am merely an Alice in Wonderland enthusiast. However, I have spent countless hours researching the man, Charles Lutwich Dodson, and the books, Alice's Adventures in Wonderland, and Through the Looking Glass and what Alice found there. So I definitely have more knowledge about these topics than the average bear. I started my website, Alice is Everywhere, and the Alice is Everywhere podcast because I really wanted to share all this information I've gained over the years so as many people as possible will read and enjoy these books. Some of my other favorite books are Tender is the Night, The Sound and the Fury, Far from the Matting Crowd, and Winesburg, Ohio. I'm not going to do a podcast on any of those things, though, because I haven't done nearly as much research as I have on Alice. And in fact, if you would like to know some of the sources I've used for research, there's a bibliography on aliceseverywhere.com. A link to the bibliography is at the bottom of every single page on the site. It's in the footer. If a book or essay is available for free online, I included a link to the free version. If a book is not available for free online, I included a link to its listing on Amazon. Now that is an affiliate link, so if you click through to Amazon and end up buying a book, I'll get rich. Rich, I tell you! That's not true. I'll get like 20 cents per book, and I believe I am almost up to a dollar so far, so things are going pretty well. I guess another credential I should mention is that I am a member of the Lewis Carroll Society of North America and have attended several of their meetings across the country. To be honest, TBH, as the kids say, uh, anyone can be a member. You just have to pay your $35 a year for membership, and you don't even have to be a member to attend a meeting. If you'd like some more info about the Lewis Carroll Society of North America, their website is lewiscarroll.org, and that's L-E-W-I-S-C-A-R-R-O-L-L, two R's and two L's in Carroll. Now, when we last saw our hero, she had just left the mad tea party in a huff. How cute is that, that she kept looking back a few times, hoping they would call after her? But they didn't. They just tried to stuff the dormouse in a teapot. So much information regarding that last chapter, right? How many times did you listen to it to make sure you got everything? I'm kidding. I don't really expect you to listen more than once. I do have a friend who says she listens to each episode two or three times to make sure she doesn't miss anything, which just tickles me to no end. Hi, Rebecca. So Alice exits the mad tea party, sees a door in a tree, ends up in the hall of doors, but she fares better this time, and finally makes her way into the beautiful garden. Chapter 8, The Queen's Croquet Ground A large rose tree stood near the entrance of the garden. The roses growing on it were white, but there were three gardeners at it, busily painting them red. Alice thought this a very curious thing, and she went nearer to watch them, and just as she came up to them, she heard one of them say, Look out now, Five. Don't go splashing paint over me like that. I couldn't help it, said Five in a sulky tone. Seven jogged my elbow. On which Seven looked up and said, Oh, that's right, Five. Always lay the blame on others. 
You'd better not talk, said Five. I heard the queen say only yesterday you deserve to be beheaded. What for? said the one who had spoken first. That's none of your business, too. Yes, it is his business, said Five, and I'll tell him it was for bringing the cook tulip roots instead of onions. Seven flung down his brush and had just begun, well, of all the unjust things, when his eye chanced to fall upon Alice as she stood watching them, and he checked himself suddenly. The others looked round also, and all of them bowed low. Would you tell me, please, said Alice, a little timidly, why you are painting those roses? Five and seven said nothing, but looked at two. Two began in a low voice. Why, the fact is, you see, miss, this here ought to have been a red rose tree, and we put a white one in by mistake, and if the queen was to find it out, we should all have our heads cut off, you know. So you see, miss, we're doing our best afore she comes to... At this moment, Five, who had been anxiously looking across the garden, called out, The Queen! The Queen! And the three gardeners instantly threw themselves flat upon their faces. There was a sound of many footsteps, and Alice looked round, eager to see the Queen. First came ten soldiers carrying clubs. These were shaped like the three gardeners, oblong and flat, with their hands and feet at the corners. Next, the ten courtiers. These were ornamented all over with diamonds and walked two and two, as the soldiers did. After these came the royal children. There were ten of them, and the little deers came jumping merrily along, hand in hand, in couples. They were all ornamented with hearts. Next came the guests, mostly kings and queens, and among them Alice recognized the white rabbit. It was talking in a hurried, nervous manner, smiling at everything that was said, and went by without noticing her. Then followed the knave of hearts, carrying the king's crown on a crimson velvet cushion, and last of all this grand procession came the king and queen of hearts. Alice was rather doubtful whether she ought not to lie down on her face like the three gardeners, but she could not remember ever having heard of such a rule at processions, and besides, what would be the use of a procession, thought she, if people all had to lie down on their faces so that they couldn't see it? So she stood where she was and waited. When the procession came opposite to Alice, they all stopped and looked at her, and the queen said severely, Who is this? She said it to the knave of hearts, who only bowed and smiled in reply. Idiot, said the queen, tossing her head impatiently, and turning to Alice, she went on. What's your name, child? My name is Alice, so please your majesty, said Alice very politely, but she added to herself, why, they're only a pack of cards, after all. I needn't be afraid of them. And who are these, said the queen, pointing to the three gardeners who were lying round the rose tree, for you see, as they were lying on their faces, and the pattern on their backs was the same as the rest of the pack, she could not tell whether they were gardeners or soldiers or courtiers or three of her own children. How should I know, said Alice, surprised at her own courage. It's no business of mine. The queen turned crimson with fury and, after glaring at her for a moment like a wild beast, began screaming, Off with her head! Off with... Nonsense, said Alice, very loudly and decidedly. And the queen was silent. The king laid his hand upon her arm and timidly said, Consider, my dear, she is only a child. The queen turned angrily away from him and said to the knave, Turn them over. The knave did so very carefully with one foot. Get up, said the queen in a shrill, loud voice, and the three gardeners instantly jumped up and began bowing to the king, the queen, the royal children, and everybody else. Leave off that, screamed the queen. You make me giddy. And then, turning to the rose tree, she went on, What have you been doing here? May it please your majesty, said two in a very humble tone, going down on one knee as he spoke. We were trying. I see, said the queen, who had meanwhile been examining the roses. Off with their heads.
and the procession moved on, three of the soldiers remaining behind to execute the unfortunate gardeners, who ran to Alice for protection. Oh, you shan't be beheaded, said Alice, and she put them into a large flower pot that stood near. The three soldiers wandered about for a minute or two looking for them, and then quietly marched off after the others. Are their heads off? shouted the queen. Their heads are gone, if it please your majesty, the soldiers shouted in reply. That's right, shouted the queen. Can you play croquet? The soldiers were silent and looked at Alice, as the question was evidently meant for her. Yes, shouted Alice. Come on, then, roared the queen, and Alice joined the procession, wondering very much what would happen next. It's, it's a very fine day, said a timid voice at her side. She was walking by the white rabbit, who was peeping anxiously into her face. Very, said Alice. Where's the duchess? Hush, hush, said the rabbit in a low, hurried tone. He looked anxiously over his shoulder as he spoke and then raised himself upon tiptoe, put his mouth close to her ear, and whispered, "'She's under sentence of execution.' "'What for?' said Alice. "'Did you say, what a pity?' the rabbit asked. "'No, I didn't,' said Alice. "'I don't think it's a pity at all. "'I said, what for?' "'She boxed the queen's ears,' the rabbit began. "'Alice gave a little scream of laughter. "'Oh, hush!' the rabbit whispered in a frightened tone. "'The queen will hear you. "'You see, she came rather late, and the queen said—' "'Get to your places!' shouted the queen in a voice of thunder, and people began running about in all directions, tumbling up against each other. However, they got settled down in a minute or two, and the game began. Alice thought she had never seen such a curious croquet ground in her life. It was all ridges and furrows, the croquet balls were live hedgehogs, and the mallets live flamingos, and the soldiers had to double themselves up and stand on their hands and feet to make the arches. The chief difficulty Alice found at first was in managing her flamingo, she succeeded in getting its body tucked away comfortably enough under her arm with its legs hanging down, but generally, just as she had got its neck nicely straightened out and was going to give the hedgehog a blow with its head, it would twist itself round and look up in her face with such a puzzled expression that she could not help bursting out laughing, and when she had got its head down and was going to begin again, it was very provoking to find that the hedgehog had unrolled itself and was in the act of crawling away. Besides all this, there was generally a ridge or a furrow in the way wherever she wanted to send the hedgehog to, and as the doubled-up soldiers were always getting up and walking off to other parts of the ground, Alice soon came to the conclusion that it was a very difficult game indeed. The players all played at once, without waiting for turns, quarreling all the while and fighting for the hedgehogs, and in a very short time the queen was in a furious passion and went stamping about and shouting, off with his head, or off with her head, about once a minute. Alice began to feel very uneasy. To be sure, she had not as yet had any dispute with the queen, but she knew that it might happen any minute. And then, thought she, what would become of me? They're dreadfully fond of beheading people here. The great wonder is that there's anyone left alive. She was looking about for some way of escape and wondering whether she could get away without being seen when she noticed a curious appearance in the air. It puzzled her very much at first, but after watching it in a minute or two, she made it out to be a grin, and she said to herself, Oh, it's the Cheshire Cat. Now I shall have somebody to talk to. How are you getting on? said the cat, as soon as there was mouth enough for it to speak with. Alice waited till the eyes appeared and then nodded. It's no use speaking to it, she thought, till its ears have come, or at least one of them. In another minute the whole head appeared, and then Alice put down her flamingo and began an account of the game, feeling very glad she had someone to listen to her. The cat seemed to think that there was enough of it now in sight, and no more of it appeared. I don't think they play at all fairly, Alice began in a rather a complaining tone. And they all quarrel so dreadfully, one can't hear oneself speak. And they don't seem to have any rules in particular, at least if there are, nobody attends to them. 
and you've no idea how confusing it is, all the things being alive. For instance, there's the arch I've got to go through next, walking about at the other end of the ground. And I should have croqueted the queen's hedgehog just now, only it ran away when it saw mine coming. How do you like the queen? said the cat in a low voice. Oh, not at all, said Alice. She's so extremely... Just then she noticed that the queen was close behind her, listening, so she went on, likely to win that it's hardly worth finishing the game. The queen smiled and passed on. Who are you talking to? said the king, coming up to Alice and looking at the cat's head with great curiosity. It's a friend of mine, a Cheshire cat, said Alice. Allow me to introduce it. I don't like the look of it at all, said the king. However, it may kiss my hand if it likes. I'd rather not, the cat remarked. Don't be impertinent, said the king. Don't look at me like that. He got behind Alice as he spoke. A cat may look at a king, said Alice. I've read that in some book, but I I don't remember where. Well, it must be removed, said the king very decidedly, and he called to the queen, who was passing at the moment. My dear, I wish you would have this cat removed. The queen had only one way of settling all difficulties, great or small. Off with his head, she said, without even looking round. I'll fetch the executioner myself, said the king eagerly, and he hurried off. Alice thought she might as well go back and see how the game was going on, as she heard the queen's voice in the distance, screaming with passion. She had already heard or sentenced three of the players to be executed for having missed their turns, and she did not like the look of things at all, as the game was in such confusion that she never knew whether it was her turn or not. So she went off in search of her hedgehog. The hedgehog was engaged in a fight with another hedgehog, which seemed to Alice an excellent opportunity for croqueting one of them with the other. The only difficulty was that her flamingo was gone across to the other side of the garden, where Alice could see it trying in a helpless sort of way to fly up into a tree. By the time she had caught the flamingo and brought it back, the fight was over, and both the hedgehogs were out of sight. But it doesn't matter much, thought Alice, as all the arches are gone from this side of the ground. So she tucked it away under her arm that it might not escape again, and went back to have a little more conversation with her friend. When she got back to the Cheshire Cat, she was surprised to find quite a large crowd collected round it. There was a dispute going on between the executioner, the king, and the queen, who were all talking at once, while all the rest were quite silent and looked very uncomfortable. The moment Alice appeared, she was appealed to by all three to settle the question, and they repeated their arguments to her, though, as they all spoke at once, she found it very hard to make out exactly what they said. The executioner's argument was that you couldn't cut off a head unless there was a body to cut it off from, that he had never had to do such a thing before, and he wasn't going to begin at his time of life. The king's argument was that anything that had a head could be beheaded and that you weren't to talk nonsense. The queen's argument was that if something wasn't done about it in less than no time, she'd have everybody executed all round. It was this last remark that had made the whole party look so grave and anxious. Alice could think of nothing else to say, but it belongs to the duchess. You better ask her about it. She's in prison, the queen said to the executioner. Fetch her here and the executioner went off like an arrow. The cat's head began fading away the moment he was gone, and by the time he had come back with the duchess, it had entirely disappeared. So the king and the executioner ran wildly up and down looking for it, while the rest of the party went back to the game. Isn't it fun when characters pop up again? So nice to see White Rabbit and Cheshire Cat. And it sounds like we might be hearing more from the always pleasant duchess in the next chapter, but you'll have to wait till next time to find out. So I think the key takeaway from this chapter is Alice has spent her entire time in Wonderland trying to get to this elusive garden, and now that she's finally here, it sucks. Pardon my language. But really, things might be crazier here than they've been anywhere else, right? There's a tyrannical lunatic threatening to chop off people's heads. Everyone seems to be terrified of her. Croquet is played with live animals. People are shaped like playing cards. It's absolutely insane. 
If I were Alice, I would much prefer a mad tea party or a lazy swim in a pool of tears to this. The chapter begins with Alice coming across some playing cards slash gardeners who are painting white roses red. And let's take note of that. I come across a lot of internet memes about Alice painting the roses red. As we see here, that's not the case. It's the playing cards doing the painting. I love the conversation that she walks in on with all of them grousing at each other. They're painting the roses red because the queen wanted a red rose bush and they accidentally painted a white one. And if she sees it, they believe they will be sentenced to death. Our first clue that we are not dealing with a benevolent leader. The king and queen's procession arrives. When I read this part, I always think of the very first Alice in Wonderland movie ever made. It's from 1903. It was made by two British fellows named Cecil Hepworth and Percy Stowe, and it's quite short. It may have started off as long as 12 minutes, but only eight and a half minutes survive. I swear that half of those eight and a half minutes is just the procession of playing cards. Okay, maybe I'm exaggerating a little, but it's at least 25% of it. It's just endless. I feel for the actress playing Alice because she has to stand there and keep reacting as approximately 100,000 people dressed as playing cards walk by. I guess the filmmakers thought, you know, we paid for these costumes, darn it. We're going to use them. The gardeners have flung themselves down on the ground at this point, so the queen asks Alice who they are since they are playing cards and she can only see the top side. Kind of clever. Alice responds with, how should I know? It's no business of mine. And can we just take a minute to talk about the sass? Have you noticed how much bolder Alice has gotten as the book progresses? She's come a long way from that girl crying a pool of tears, afraid of a white rabbit. In the last few chapters, she walked right into the Duchess's house, sat herself down at a tea party without being invited, and now here she is sassing the Queen of Hearts. Really, for no good reason. I think to understand just how extraordinary this behavior is, we should review when this book was published. 1865. In 1865, railroads were fairly new. Diseases like scarlet fever and cholera were all the rage. I don't know, people wore hats. But most relevant to this discussion, little girls did not go wandering around by themselves, show up places uninvited, and sass strangers. A prime example of how stuffy Victorian England was is the bathing machine. Bathing machines were briefly mentioned in the Pool of Tears chapter, but we didn't talk about what the heck it is. A bathing machine was a little dressing room, but it wasn't just used to change into your bathing suit at the beach. It had wheels so it could be dragged into the ocean, and the lady inside would exit the bathing machine through a back door and, hidden by huge umbrellas, be able to go wading into the water without anyone catching a scandalous glimpse of her in her bathing suit. Which, let's be honest, probably went down to her ankles. This was a thing. This went on in Victorian England. Women would be pulled out into the ocean in a little cart with giant umbrellas so that no one could see them get wet. So it's this time period that we have little Alice traipsing all over Wonderland by herself, doing whatever she pleases, and talking back to any and all of the adults she comes across. Her behavior is nothing short of astonishing given the time period. Back to the story. After ordering Alice's head cut off, the queen inexplicably invites her to play croquet. In this game of croquet, the soldiers have to double themselves up to be the wickets. You can picture playing cards arched over like that, right? The mallets are flamingos and the balls are hedgehogs. Live flamingos and hedgehogs, of course. 
which might seem mean, but it becomes clear pretty quickly that no one ever makes contact with anything. The white rabbit is there with a wonderful description that manages to characterize him in just a few words. It was talking in a hurried, nervous manner, smiling at everything that was said. (laughs) He approaches Alice, probably thinking he should make nice with her since she has a propensity for going into a giant at a moment's notice. White rabbit informs her that the duchess has been sentenced to death for boxing the queen's ears, which Alice finds hilarious. Absolutely everyone is sentenced to death at some point in this chapter, and of course nothing comes of it. Side note, when the executioner can't find the gardeners and the queen asks if their heads are off, he technically isn't lying when he says their heads are gone, your majesty. The heads are gone, along with the rest of them. He just leaves that part out. Even our friend Cheshire Cat is sentenced to death, but there's a small problem with that as only his head has appeared, which sets off a hilarious disagreement between the queen, king, and executioner as to whether you can behead someone if they are only a head. The executioner complaining he isn't going to begin doing such a thing at his time of life (laughs) always makes me laugh. Alice tells everyone that the cat belongs to the Duchess. Though really, does Cheshire Cat belong to anyone? I think not. Then the Queen orders the executioner to fetch the Duchess, and Chapter 8 ends rather abruptly. Chapter 9 is called The Mock Turtle Story. Who is the Mock Turtle, and what does he have to do with anything? Excellent questions that we'll have to answer next time. As always, if you've got any questions or comments, please reach out via social media or email me at heather at aliceseverywhere.com. And please take a few seconds to rate the Alice is Everywhere podcast on iTunes or Stitcher. Five stars only. I gots to have my five stars. Thanks, guys. Talk soon.